Hello, I'm Ryan Lichten. This is another episode of Culture Dumps. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Audra Zadora, the singer of Glam Skanks. Audra. Hey, Ryan. Yes, it's been a while. Oh, my God. <laughs> we know each other because uh, she was one of the greatest bartenders in the world at one of the not greatest bars in the world that we both worked at where I was the karaoke guy. If you can imagine uh, me doing that job, I'm sure you can. I love to talk and I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> so today on Culture Dumps, we're going to be going over one of the most forgotten festivals of all time, but possibly one of the most important. Today, we're talking about the Lilith Fair. Now, the Lilith Fair, why is this a culture dump? We always like to explain why, and as I was explaining to Audra, Lilith Fair isn't a culture dump because it's so silly, because it's not really. It's not really a funny, goofy thing. It didn't have a scandal. It wasn't a huge failure. The reason why I think it's a dump is because it's totally forgotten in a time where we have so much reason, like so many reasons to thank for the Lilith Fair. Would you agree? Uh, totally. Yes. And like the, the, the reason like why I even thought of doing Lilith Fair on as an episode is because I was listening to that smash hit Cardi B Meg the Stallion song WAP. Uh, AKA wet ass pussy. And mm -hmm. I was thinking, I was like, wow, this is like the biggest song on the planet. People are starting to use it on yeah, as slogans on their protest signs and things like that. It's become kind of a symbol of liberation. And I really truly believe that we have Lilith Fair to thank, you know, for the success of songs like that and artists like that, that have, you know, somehow, you know, over the last 10, 20 years, absolutely dominated the charts. It all starts with Lilith Fair. Again, I want to preface this, and Audrey, you can you, you can help me out with this. Women have pretty had a pretty tough time in the entertainment industry. Oh, would you agree? Yeah, <laughs> understatement of the century. Yes. Yes, and you know it's not just music; it's movies and everything else. Of and course. and you know obviously in the last few years, a lot of this have, has come to light, uh, as if you know people didn't know, but it was always you know this thing that people kind of just seem to accept, especially in the entertainment industry, this just blatant sexism that, that was happening. So, and, and you know, for, for example, folks, Taylor Swift, she's the only woman ever to win album of the year two times. Which that's, is that's how long it's taken. Think about like Diana Ross. <laughs> think about Aretha Franklin. Think about, I mean, like any huge megastar, Cher. Think about any mega su female superstar you can think of. Taylor Swift, it took that long for a woman to win album of the year two times. So that alone tells you why Lilith Fair is so important. So a little bit of background into the Lilith Fair. The Lilith Fair was a touring music festival founded in 1997 by singer-songwriter Sarah McLaughlin. The festival featured an inclusive, female-focused lineup and ran until 1999, resurfacing once more, resurfacing once more in 2010. The festival was essentially the first of its kind and seemingly succeeded against all odds. With the exception of the 2010 run of the festival, Lilith Fair is all but forgotten now. Why do you think that is? Because we watched the the official DVD release, right. and it was, seemed pretty awesome. It was amazing, you guys. If you have not heard of this festival or seen footage from this festival, go look it up. It was eye-opening, and I have not been able to stop talking about it. 
since right. I watched it. Well, um, as a musician that I, like I, I said before we started, it, it really seems like your band would have played had oh Little Fair been around now. Totally. And I mean, like, it seems like, like a lot of fun. It doesn't seem like, uh, like some of these other festivals where it seems like there's a lot of partying going on backstage, but I'm sure there was. Like, I bet there's like some like <laughs> raunchy, like, you know, late I'm night, sure. like, oh, Little Fair, uncensored. See the girls of Indigo Girls going wild. There's like, lesbian <laughs> sex happening. <laughs> Lesbian sex galore happening backstage at uh, that festival. Yes, a lot of girls became women at the Lilith Fair. That's like, <laughs> and we'll get into kind of the history of that thing. But yes, there's you know there was carloads of girls that that left women with a, a way better you know more centered idea of themselves, and that's kind of what Lilith Fair was all about. Uh, you know, it caught kind of a bad rap in the media because it was the first of its kind, this all woman, you know, mainstream festival, you know, boys move aside. The the only men that were playing on any of the stages were in the bands of these mega female acts. And that was the unique characteristic of it. But before we get into the actual festival, we have to get into its creator, Sarah McLaughlin. Are you a fan? You know what? I, I always felt, obviously her voice is gorgeous. Um, I became a legit fan after after watching the uh the Lilith Fair doc. I always thought yeah. she was amazing, but I I was neutral and, you know, I'm a little bit young to have been a fan in her heyday, but man, I have major respect for her. Right. Yeah, she kind of took over and I mean, a lot of people think of when, when they're thinking of this kind of music, they're thinking like Melissa Etheridge or, you know, th- there's other names that come to mind for Cheryl Crow, even yeah. who played on the Fair, but Sarah totally. McLaughlin really harnessed this whole thing together. So let's get into her background really quick. Sarah McLaughlin was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada on January 28th, 1968. At age four, she was adopted by the McLaughlin family. At age nine, she discovered she was adopted, which came as a surprise, but not a shock as her family was very supportive of her and she was a very happy child. From a young age, Sarah showed an interest in music. Throughout her childhood and teens, she was classically trained in piano, guitar, and voice, according to the curriculum of the prestigious Royal Conservatory of Music, which is essentially the standard that you teach children music by, uh, especially in Canada and parts of Europe as well. While she was receiving this classical training, she found herself leaning more towards alternative music, especially punk and new wave. While in high school, McLaughlin fronted the band October Game, which released their only single, Grind, on an independent compilation album. Have you listened to that? No. It's the best shit that she's done. We're going to play a little clip of the song Grind from October Game. And it is, I mean, I could see why she would be in a band like that, but it is a far cry from the music that we know her from. <laughs> yes. So we're going to listen to that. So she was like the Susie Sue and the Banshees of Canada is what that sounds like to me. Totally. Wow. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense that that like, I mean, that a teenage kind of gothy girl would grow up to be the singer songwriter that she became. But like, I really wish she still had more jams like that. I do, too. 
Right. It, it, it's, it's awesome. So, after October Games' first show at Dalhousie University, McLaughlin was offered a recording contract by Mark Jowett of the band Mauve, who were headlining the show that they were playing. And the label offer was on the Canadian independent label Network. After completing high school and one year at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, she moved to Vancouver to start her music career. And it's also worth noting that around this time when she was 19, she met her birth mother through a mutual acquaintance, which is just like... Randomly? Just random. Like, she... Like, imagine that. Like, you're adopted. You have no interest in meeting your birth mother. But, you know, some chick... You run into her at the grocery store through like yeah, or like a friend of yours is like, oh, you, you know, I know your birth mom, right? Like, what the fuck? Whoa! And even the logistics of that are kind of crazy because it's like, how would she know that, that she it was, was a birth mom yeah. and uh, all that? I'm sure that's a a more lengthy story that I'm not giving any time for because there's too much to cover here. Oh my god! <laughs> but I I did like that little bit. Her first album, Touch, was released in 1988 and was an all-around success. However, her next album, Solace, which was released in 1991, would be her big break into the Canadian mainstream. McLaughlin found international success in 1993 with her third album, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, which featured the single, Possession. The following year, she was sued by a crazed fan who claimed that the song was about him. The self-admitted stalker was found dead by his own hand before the trial could commence. She was also sued the year prior by Daryl Newdorf, who claimed he was an uncredited contributor on McLaughlin's first album. McLaughlin had to pay Newdorf, but not give him any credit. Worth mentioning also, 1995, I Will Remember You comes out. The slow dance song ever. Yes. Like, like, yes. like th- that is the quintessential hand on the hips, hands on the shoulders, just like swaying back and forth. Totally. And funeral song, but that's... <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, baby showers, it's really funerals. really a catch-all. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the magic of McLaughlin. You know what I mean? She covered her bases. Yeah, she's the, you know, she's very, uh, very eclectic with, with that, those song uses. Now, in 1997, we saw the release of McLaughlin's most successful album to date, Surfacing. This included the singles Building a Mystery and Angel, which is now recognized from her animal charity commercials, but was originally inspired by the overdose death of Smashing Pumpkins touring keyboardist Jonathan Melvoin. What's sadder? Sarah McLaughlin animal commercial or the overdose death of Smashing Pumpkins touring keyboardist? Is that a serious question? (laughs) Well, you know, we ask the hard-hitting questions here on Culture Dumps, but uh, just in case, just to kind of kick up the old memory dust for y'all. We're going to listen to just a snippet of one of those animal commercials from Sarah McLaughlin. And you have the benefit of not having to actually see it, which is the biggest bummer of Mm. all. Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. Will you be an angel for a helpless animal? Every day, innocent animals are abused, beaten, and neglected. And they're crying out for help. I'm very sad, but we must push forward. <laughs> we, 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 can't, we can't stop now to, to donate or adopt a dog or whatever she wants us to do. Oh. So in 1998, McLaughlin received two Grammys, including Best Female Pop Vocal Performance and Best Female Pop Instrumental Performance. Backtracking, though, to 1996, McLaughlin did a four-show run with Tracy Chapman, Paula Cole, Lisa Loeb, Suzanne Vega, and others, and promoted the shows as Lilith Fair. Lilith, coming from the Jewish mythological figure Lilith, who was the first woman God created, but she refused to submit to Adam, so he created Eve. 
I never knew that that's mm. where that came from. Is that something you were familiar with? Yes. So I'm a big old Jew <laughs> who went to Jewish day school. And yeah, I mean, she is like the quintessential feminist. She's the first feminist. The first, yeah. Yeah. And all of this like feminist slash lesbian propaganda <laughs> uh, was yeah. all there's like that's it's almost a cliche like Lilith magazine is like a feminist Jewish magazine okay and yeah I mean I think it's super rad that yeah I mean it's, no, it's awesome and it's also cool I mean McLaughlin talks about it in the documentary that no one else really knew about that really like like yeah at least like in the that. circle of like wow. the Lilith Fair elite no one really knew that story but I thought that was interesting it was like wow that is kind of the perfect name but it's already like you just said it's kind of planting these seeds in the heads especially of ignorant men in the music industry <laughs> that are just gonna write this whole thing off as some totally. lesbian bullshit totally which which really is, isn't even the case it's like it doesn't even make sense yeah like i don't i don't think for instance not to like pigeonhole anyone here but melissa etheridge one of the most outspoken lesbian musicians of all time never even played little affair right <laughs> like so you know what i mean it's like already that but it's just this ignorance that that was going into it and they overcame it all and that was kind of the the amazing thing so at the time it was virtually unheard of to have an all-female bill as it was generally believed that an all-female bill would not be well attended let alone sell out these shows proved that school of thought wrong and after the last four shows mclaughlin passed a note to suzanne vega which said dear suzanne thank you so much for being involved in the show tonight you are an inspiration to me. Maybe next summer, if you're interested, we could continue this sort of thing. A girly show. A celebration of women in music. Anyway, thanks again and have a great time. Sarah McLaughlin. Hmm. So, you know, it's like, again, and that note actually, uh, and I believe Vanity Fair, did, they did this great coverage of Lilith Fair. They have like a scanned picture of that note. Like it, it really did exist. That is how it started. It was just a hand passed note, which again I has totally all these connotations of like schoolgirls, like, you know, like, and, and this kind of like gossipy thing. I don't know. I just love it. There, there, there are some inescapable things with Lilith Fair, but they own those cliches that, that come with it. You know For I mean? sure. They, they absolutely own it. So no one could know at the time, but this note would beget the greatest female-fronted music festival that the world has ever seen. All right, so we're going to get into the whole roots of the Lilith Fair and a little bit about its co-founders and its beginning here. So after the success of the mini Lilith Fair tour, McLaughlin teamed up with Network Music's Dan Fraser and Terry McBride, as well as New York-based talent agent Marty Diamond. Marty Diamond is still one of the most well-known booking agents in the music industry. Having worked with some of the world's biggest acts in multiple genres, he has the kind of showbiz experience one would expect from a man with the name Marty Diamond. <laughs> Does it get more cliche? Hey, no, it's Marty Just, Diamond on the phone. <laughs> Listen, I got to call McLaughlin today. I got to call fucking Crow. I got to call fucking Jewel. The Wild Strawberries. Who the fuck is that? Indigo what? I mean, the, like this guy, he's got like four totally. cell phones, a cigar. Absolutely. You know, he's, he's the kind of guy that's still, I, I don't know. I'm just envisioning the worst dude and it's probably not what Marty Diamond is all about, but I just picture him as like a waitress butt slapper. Like I do too. You know, it's Marty Diamond. Just, he's a slob. Yeah, you know what I mean. And Piles like, on his desk. Yeah, he just has like all yeah. the Lilith Fair cast in his office. Listen, girls, yeah. it's a big shit sandwich out there, and you're all gonna take a bite. Like, <laughs> you're gonna smile because you like totally how it tastes. Marty. Yeah, it's like it's so, Diamond for you. <laughs> yeah, no, but that was just Diamond. You know what I mean? That's just that's just kind of how how he was. So in a time when having a large concert co-headlined by female acts was unheard 
unheard of, an undertaking like the Lilith Fair seemed incomprehensible. It just wouldn't work. But once the promoters realized that if Sheryl Crow could sell out a huge venue in a particular reason, and so could Sarah McLaughlin, it only made sense that people would flock to see a show featuring both of them. Duh! <laughs> that, I mean, okay. They talk about this on the in the documentary, and you know, it's one of these things where you're like, this is shocking and also not shocking. Right. You know, it's just, so they talk about how like, you know, they would try to book their friends and, and peers on bills with them like one does. Right. And venue venue bookers would be like, no, we can't have two females on the same right. Well, bill. even on the radio, they wouldn't play two females back to back because they're like, oh, people are going to tune out. Like, oh, Sarah, Cheryl Crow, nice. I like this song. What? Jewel. And like, it's like, dude, right. no, it's like these are number one hit selling artists you know what i mean it's Who like why, phenomenal. Would, why wouldn't you put them together that's what it's like and again it never even crossed their mind that like some that women you know half the population would be like oh i don't want to go to that festival it's all dudes you know what i right. mean it's like that never once crossed anyone's no crossed anyone's mind because the people running the show are like dudes right well e exactly Usually. marty diamond marty diamond you know what like, i mean yeah, yeah. come on but also, it's like they had the, you know, the, these women that were fronting this thing, like Sarah McLaughlin in particular, and some of the, and especially like artists like uh, Paula Cole and Sean Colvin and stuff like that. They had the cultural reference to know things that were similar to this in the past, like all these women's festivals that happened in the 70s, because the festival itself was modeled after the women's music festivals of the 1970s. Women's music is a genre of music specifically made by women to be listened to by women, and was often released on women-owned independent record labels. A unique quality of the women's music movement was the presence of outspoken lesbian songwriters who made their once taboo sexual orientation known to their audience, as well as outspoken black female activists who were given, for the most part, equal attention and respect in the scene. The leading artist of this movement was Chris Williamson, whose 1975 album, The Changer and the Changed, has been described as the thriller of women's music. Like, like the thriller, like the, the biggest album of all time, yes. thriller. Like, but I love that it's like, oh no, The Changer and the Changed, that's like the thriller of women's music, bro. <laughs> Something that never has been said until you this show. <laughs> bro, Changer and the Changed, oh bro. Oh my God. <laughs> no one's ever used bro and a Chris Williamson reference in the same in the sentence. Same ever <laughs> but that's what you get when you listen to culture dumps folks yes. yes and you know not only was it the you know the biggest you know most known album in the women's music movement but it was it's believed to be the first lp entirely produced by women and was also one of the most successful independent releases of all time wow right so there was always some dude hanging around in a studio one way or another this was fully dudes out all women recording it and these festivals would happen and this is during the gay liberation of the 1970s post stonewall riot stuff so you know people they're gay men and women are feeling a, a lot more free but you know still persecuted for sure but there is this new sense of pride and, and freedom and these mass gatherings and of course you know gay men had the club scene whereas women had these great outdoor festivals and yes you would go with a car full of gals and you'd meet up with mm. some people there and you'd come back and you'd start like a carpentry business or something. Sounds so fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you're just, I just, you're just longing. For oh it. man I am daydreaming over here about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and that's kind of where they got the idea from because, like, well, it worked back then and no one knew about it then. And if anything, it was totally looked down upon then because of the whole, you know, like activist stuff that was going on with it. This is essentially just music. So it's come a long way. Oh, They're starting amazing. this thing. 
But the biggest obstacle that Lilith Fair organizers faced was finding venues that believed in their mission and had faith that the event would make money. They were told several times that no one would go to an all-woman festival. This was also due to the fact that the lineup was to be inclusive and eclectic. It not only featured the top acts in women's music, but also hip-hop, world music, rock, pop, and several other genres. It was, it's a real festival. You know, like you had, there was three stages. You had like an opening act kind of stage, the middle stage that was more experimental stuff in the world music. And then you had like the heavy hitter stage with like McLaughlin headlining each year. And then, you know, other, other acts following, but yeah, it was like, it's a huge deal. And again, because it's all women, it was like this smoke bomb to the industry. It's just so funny to me. It's like, who are these dudes? (laughs) Who Who are these dudes? I mean, Marty Diamond, but like. It's, it's no Marty Diamond's an ally. We have to make okay. That you're very right. Clear. I'm sorry. I'm very yeah. sorry. Yes, yes. His his uh, his peers, but right. You know, it's just crazy to me that they would think that there's no market for this. But, women will go to all women's festivals right. at the very least. Well, and again, you have to think the like, very like the sexism goes so deep. It's like yeah, but women don't make the money. You know oh what I mean? It's gosh. like it, it goes so deep. Yes. It's this inherent thing. Like men take women to concerts on dates. Like that's like how wow. long ago this mentality is. I mean, it's show business. It's like one of the oldest. You know, next to prostitution, it's one of the oldest yes. businesses on the planet. Totally. So you know, you have like a long, steadfast like hardened mentality there that's not budging but Lilith Fair is the little you know uh what uh, breaking the chain there that proved everyone wrong for just a second though because again it only lasted yeah. three yeah you know what's cool though I just wanted to say yeah about Sarah McLaughlin it you know there's this whole stereotype one they made you know the bad press for for Lilith, which I'm sure we'll get to more, but like, oh yeah, is that it was like this les lesbapalooza or whatever they as called it. As if that's it. the worst thing. And first of all, as if that's the worst thing. Second of all, most of the women, not that it matters, but most of the women in charge of this, including Sarah McLaughlin, were totally straight. Right. And and something that I really respect and admire is you know there's this negative stereotype of like the loud, angry woman coming in, and Sarah McLaughlin is man. She is like, <laughs> she she's so powerful and so, um, uh, like, like quaint. Qu- yeah, I mean, for the sake of sounding, for you know, I wouldn't say like unassuming or anything, but no, it's like, well, that's the thing about these Lilith Fair artists; they all have that quality where it's like everyone just shuts up, yeah, and like listens to them, and like, you know, people would say, you know, like part of like the criticism was like, oh. Like it's so boring and blah 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 and like you know there's no heckling or hooting and hollering. It's like yeah, because like th- it's a rare instance where it literally is just the music. Totally, you know what I mean. And it is the words, and people are coming for that. And while yes, it's uh, immensely predominantly female attendees, there's tons of men in there. There were, and, yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, I, I have a great clip for the very end of the show uh, that will address the men going to Lilith <laughs> cool. Fair. I actually knew a guy that that went, and like every, all his what? boys made fun of him. I mean, he was way older than me. This was a long time ago, and I remember like I found out. I, this, you know, because I've always been into this pop culture shit. And I was like, dude, you went to the little fair what? And he's like, yeah. And everyone made fun of me, but like, I had a good time. Of course, <laughs> that, that's all he had to say. He's like, I had a good time. <laughs> like, you couldn't understand why everyone was like, yeah, freaking out. But you know, we're, we're in a different place now than we were in 1997. Uh, not by much, but yeah. The first official Lilith Fair show took place July 5th, 1997 at the Gorge Theater in George, Washington, which is possibly the most perfect setting for the Lilith Fair ever, and the tour continued on for 36 more shows. Now, it's not that it's called George, Washington that I think is the perfect (laughs) place, but have you seen what the Gorge looks like? 
gorgeous. Ha, yeah. ha, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, but it's it's literally, folks, it's on the edge of a cliff. So you're on a mountain on like a, a grassy meadow and the stage, like the back of the stage literally falls off of a cliff. It's insane and it's beautiful and I can't think of a better setting, but it's uh, I guess it's all downhill from there. <laughs> so some of the highlight acts from the first Lilith Fair include Sarah McLaughlin, of course, Bonnie Raitt, Emily Lou Harris, The Cardigans, Cheryl Crow, Indigo Girls, Tracy Chapman, Jewel, Lisa Loeb, Sean Colvin, Natalie Merchant, who is serial killer Eileen Warnos' favorite artist. She actually requested uh, that a Natalie Merchant song be played at her funeral after she was executed. Then we're going to listen to just a snippet of really quick. Yeah, uh, I just love that that's the song that Eileen Warnos, you know, bloodthirsty uh, killer who, you know, th- there is there is some dispute over over her crimes, but that's not the show that you're listening to, folks. You're listening to Culture Dumps and we're talking about Lilith Fair, but for some reason I had to bring Eileen Warnos's crazy ass into this. <laughs> <laughs> but also another a couple people that played at the first Lilith Fair, Suzanne Vega, Pat Benatar, Dido, and Joan Osborne. Now, this is... I mean, there's dozens of other artists that played. I don't know, you know, if, if you took a gander at the list, even if you did, there's so many that, you know, have fallen by the wayside mm-hmm. or that just were big in different markets that I'm not familiar with. But that's a huge one. And I have this great clip of Joan Osborne, who is famous for the song One of Us, performing at the very first Lilith Fair. This is, it might be, it might not be the first, it might be, it might be a later one. I couldn't lock down the date, but this is a total clear cut example of the Lilith Fair at its absolute primal peak. And just in case you're wondering, the person playing strings in the background, uh, I believe is now in the band Rasputina, which is mm. like a gnarly uh, string based uh, like metal band. But this is Joan Osborne doing one of us at Lilith Fair. Oh yes, this is 97. So this is the very first one. That is quite possibly the most Lilith Fair like moment or sound that I could find for for you at at home because there's again so much music there and it, it, it you know again without trying to sound too much like the naysayers of Lilith Fair I mean there is some funny stuff and there is some things that you can find where you're like okay like this mm. is like really fucking Lilith Fair shit totally but that's that's by no means is the vast majority but there it, it exists so aside from the music Lilith Fair also included a vast vendor village which included food and drink arts and crafts and activist stands of course and the media was split in two over the success of Lilith Fair most publications and news outlets praised the festival for its innovation and courage they considered the Lilith Fair to be a juggernaut of change and equality in the music industry on the other hand there was a lot of backlash and naysaying about the festival as well. One LA Times article quoted several music industry insiders calling it Lesbopalooza, while music critic Gina Arnold called the festival a crock of shit. A woman. Yes. 
Yes, a woman. This is a crock of shit. So wait, but what is it? If we had to pick, is is Lilithfair, is it Lesbopalooza or is it a crock of shit? Lesbopalooza. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that sounds like a great time. I mean. Like, that's not like, I mean, again, nowadays, and if you own it, it's not even an insult. It's like, it's like a fuck yeah. Like, this is a place for us. Whereas a crock of shit is always going to sound like a crock of shit. But the thing to me that's so weird about that is like, how is Cheryl Crow, Jewel, Tracy Chapman, how is any festival with those women in it a crock of shit? Right. How's that even possible? I guess it's because they're all there. You know what I mean? But even then, I it's like, why Gina am I trying to play Arnold's... devil's advocate to this asshole that called Little Bear a crock of shit? Gina Arnold's got some baggage. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Either she's in the closet. She wishes she was on the... Yeah. <laughs> There's something going on there. <laughs> Something's going on. Yeah, so, something's amiss with Miss Gina Arnold calling Lilith Festival literally a crock of shit. Uh, some of the media coverage of the festival went as far to call it exclusionary against men, to which <laughs> McLaughlin replied, what does celebrating women have to do with hating men? Which is an age-old age- argument with feminism. You like, took the words out of my mouth. Age-old. It's it's cliché. Yeah, it's like, no, it's like, that's like the impression you do of a guy if you want to make an impression of like a dickhead, like ignorant dude. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, God. And one, men were invited and attended. And two, a lot of the the the, the musicians, bands made a lot of, of the bands. Band. Yeah. Yeah. I totally. mean, for, for every woman that played on stage at Lilith Fair, there was several men. Absolutely. You know what I mean? On stage for each of them. I mean, they're almost outnumbered, you could say. I mean, definitely totally. outnumbered. But again, it's like the center thing and, you know, men have that tendency to, you know, me, me, me. And what, why is this thing like this when it's always been like this, totally. you know? So all, all, all that's going into it. But again, it's like, and it, like Sarah McLaughlin just handled it so well because she said that at a, uh, well, I mean, she said in several interviews, you know, in retrospect and stuff. But in 1997, MTV was there. VH1 was there. They're all interviewing people. And they bring that up to her. And she's just wearing overalls and, like, a baseball cap. She's like, what the fuck? Like, that's, like, that's ridiculous. So and then they tell her how many records Alanis Morissette sold because uh, Jagged Little Pill had just come out. And, like, she, like, shits her pants. And you <laughs> could, like, you could see, like, this rage, like, steaming, like, in her face, <laughs> which is, like, fantastic. I would play the sample on the show, folks, but it's just too visual. You had to be there. By the second Lilith Fair tour, it was reported that women were buying more concert tickets than men by 20%. So when the 1998 Lilith Fair was announced, audiences were ready to pounce. The 1998 lineup included many alumni from the previous year, as well as newcomers Liz Fair, Erica Badu, Sinead O'Connor, Queen Latifah, Sixpence None the Richer, Missy Elliott, Martina McBride, and tons and tons others. That is the lineup. This is the lineup of the century to me. Right? This I is, mean, that you could book that tomorrow and it will sell out. Even on those stupid Zoom concert shits. I'm so mad I missed that. And the other thing I'll say is, like, they realized pretty quickly that they had to get a little more diverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did. They're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. My partner and I but were like. But they did. But they did. They, and they is, did is, right is the away. Thing. Yeah. Right, that's what's amazing to me. Right away. Yeah, and they didn't it's, do it in a in a fucking pandering ass way and and like their their lineup of the original idea of Lilith Fair not even the original idea because I think the original idea included so many different kinds of acts they just didn't have access to them I mean when is Sarah McLaughlin and Missy Elliott like right. running into each other to be like, hey, yeah, let's yeah. play together of you course. know what I mean or like Queen Latifah but and fucking Lisa so Loeb but that's amazing <laughs> like, about it I know like, and a they festival brought them with Erica Badu and Jewel uh, like I would pay that a lot sense. of money that makes sense though like in a way like okay, I, you're right, I, you right. know but again like Jewel and Queen Latifah yes. like in like 1998 Queen Latifah like not like oh my 
comedy movie Queen Latifah, like fucking hard ass. That's a dream. Yeah, and like Missy Elliott was there, and like Sarah McLaughlin talked about how great Missy Elliott was because she had this giant inflatable suit on mm. and like ran through the crowd and was like, "It's hot as a motherfucker in this thing. You better dance." And there's <laughs> no better image. Audra, I know you agree with me. There's no better image than a ton of Birkenstock clad, middle aged, you know, short haircut women going ape shit to Missy Elliott. Well, yeah. and having no idea what it, what it is. Like, you don't we came need for to Indigo know. Girls, stayed for yeah. Missy Elliott. Yes. That should be the Lilith Fair slogan. Yeah, come for Indigo Girls, stay for Missy Elliott. <laughs> yeah, they, they maybe they're they're you know, comeback would have been a little stronger had they uh, yeah. listened to they me. They needed better marketing. Yes, that's they why. They needed Ryan. Yeah, they need to replace Marty Diamond with, you know, Ryan Diamond over here. So Sinead O'Connor, who would be, you know, she could be a culture dump all on her own, sure. was one of the most popular performers at the festival that year, despite her 1992 scandal. She was also responsible for starting a rumor that Sarah McLaughlin was pregnant when she had to cancel her performance due to food poisoning at the Columbus, Ohio show. O'Connor came out and told the audience that McLaughlin was backstage puking and that it was probably morning sickness. Fans were disappointed, but left peacefully. Whereas a year earlier, when Ozzy Osbourne canceled his set at OzFest at the very same venue, there was a small riot. Mm. And they even, like, all Lilithfair got was Sinead O'Connor coming out and being like, oh, Sarah's puking. And that's it. OzFest, every, like, major act that played came out and, like, played an Ozzy song. And then finally, Phil Anselmo from Pantera was like, that's the end of the show, guys. He's not coming out. And everyone rioted. I just also Woo! found a way to bring Pantera and Lilith Fair into the same conversation. I want everyone to be aware of that. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yes. This is the kind of journalistic, you know, enterprising you get here at Culture Dumps. But again, it's like Lilith Fair. Like, I, I just wish I could see that back to back where it's like, sorry, guys. Like, Sarah's not coming out tonight. She's not feeling well. It's like, oh, what a shame. Oh, is she we saw okay? a lot of Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, they're like, I just really hope she's all right. Is there like a way we can call tomorrow and find out? Whereas like Oswest is like, fuck this. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Someone's like, does she need tea? Does she need tea? Oh, I'm sure there was plenty of tea backstage at Lilith Festival. I'm sure they were ankle deep in fucking tea bags back there. For sure. Also, that's the thing with this genre of music, this women's music thing. It's always about a couple of things. Like they always talk about coffee or tea, mm. books they like to read, and then like, it's always about like lounging around. Like Jewel has a song. Like oh, you'd listen to I listen to Chopin. You listen to Mozart. Like you drink your coffee. I drink my tea. Like there is all, there's always. always that theme going around, and it just makes it very relaxing and like more introspective. Whereas like a dude's is like me and my boys drink a beer. Like totally. It's just like well, a, we could go. And we could we the nineties though. At that end point, you had like the the big boy bands were, like Limp Bizkit, Corn, Kid Rock, stuff like that. So like the messages were couldn't be more different. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean we could we could go into a whole interpretation on like why women were making music at that time versus why men were like where it was coming from oh well yeah for sure as far as catharsis yes you know yes and yeah and also it's just the a different experience you know what I mean but it 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 really was this whole like Lilith Fair sound really was the soundtrack to like coffee shops in college at, at that time. You know, totally. like like the male versions would be like Dave Matthews band and, and stuff like that. And then on the flip side, you know, it's like these would all be bands on a Starbucks compilation like, totally. in, like the year 2000, <laughs> you know. So 1999 would prove to be the final year of the Lilith Fair proper. This 40 show tour featured all of the Lilith Fair cornerstone acts, as well as a slew of fresh faces such as Tegan and Sarah, the Dixie Chicks, a.k.a. The Chicks, Monica, The Pretenders, Bijou Phillips, Nelly Furtado, and soon-to-be superstar Christina Aguilera. 
That's another great lineup. Yeah. I, I mean, the Christina Aguilera thing is interesting to me because that's obviously she's doing like Genie in a Bottle right. and stuff. It's like, how does like this pop music like being fused into Lil' Affair like... It's just interesting to think that it's translating to these audiences that are coming for obviously like, you know, the top five headliners, which all kind of sound the same. Right. But then you have like choreographed dancers and like rappers and stuff. It's just an interesting thing. But I feel like that crowd was more open. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, but it's also like really natural, like really organic, because I feel like so many people actually, if they're being honest, love, have a really eclectic variety right. of music yeah, they, they listen to guilty pleasures and everything yeah. yeah so the umbrella was like women right yeah you know which is but a big like, umbrella and little fair really showed that it's not yeah. just jewel and sarah mclaughlin and cheryl crow it's fucking you know it's it's missy all elliott it's missy elliott too and yeah. and the cardigans and tegan and sarah and everyone else now, Lilith did not come to an end in 99 because of financial failure or some kind of image-tarnishing scandal, and it certainly didn't end because it had accomplished its mission of spreading equality in music. Many of the headlining artists of the festival were focusing on their careers, and several of the opening acts had found fame and their own success. It just didn't seem practical to try and book it again. Now, for the next 10 years, women made waves in music, releasing some of the top-grossing albums and singles of the decade, if not of all time. But still, as a whole, they struggled to maintain the respect of their male counterparts. Which, mm. you know, it, that this is, you know, early 2000s, you have that huge push of, of the female pop stars. It's kind of the end of girl power with Spice Girls, which ushers in Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. Then you have, you know, Shakira, everything, Destiny's Child, which begets Beyonce. Right. I mean, it's it's yes. growing and growing and growing. And Lady Gaga comes into the picture. And these are now, you know, forces to be reckoned with. But it's like everyone completely glossed over the fact that Lilith Fair cut out that Piece yeah, of the pie it was the catalyst. Really. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah. And I have the I found this great like little scandal that happened in country music that was known as Tomato Gate, where this famed country, you know, music critic, radio DJ, when when the cause this is like right when like there was a giant push for female artists in country, like Miranda Lambert and Carrie Underwood, Ke like Kelly Clarkson was getting into it. Like a, a lot of people were starting to come up. And this guy famously said he's like, Well, you know. Country music is basically like a salad, whereas men are the lettuce that make up the salad, and then women are like the tomatoes that you add what in. The? And so it became known as Tomato Gate. But also, folks, this led me to this new quote that I'm going to stand by that you can all use, but just give me credit. In a world full of lettuce, be a tomato. Yes. You know? Yes. Like, is that really an insult? It's like, oh, so you mean like... Men make up the part that you eat around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't mean to be man bashing, obviously, I fucking am one, but it's like I have to recognize the silliness of some of these arguments and this mentality that so many of these people have. It's, you know? not, even, it's not even a good analogy. No. I mean, no, it makes, yeah. It, it like, means that men are a dime a dozen. It means you can, the good parts of the salad are the women. Like, yeah, what was he trying yeah, to say? Well, but yeah, it was like a tomato gate where he women, totally like, dunced himself. Yes, absolutely. In 2010, it was announced that Lilith Fair would be returning with a lineup that boasted both classic Lilith Fair acts as well as some more contemporary acts. The festival failed to make the media splash it had 13 years before and overall was considered a commercial failure. When asked why, McLaughlin told Rolling Stone, our intentions in hindsight weren't really pure. It's like, oh, this would be great to do again. I've got a new record out and it worked last time. We didn't look at how all those women who came to those shows in the 90s now have children and jobs and mortgages. And there were 10 canceled dates of the tour and several of the major acts had dropped out, one of which being Kelly Clarkson, the original American Idol winner. 
And Oof. like, but I also just love that she like owned it. She's like, yeah, we it like you know, yeah. and it's like with the Woodstock '99 thing. You know, obviously I have so much Woodstock '99 permanently fixed in my brain. I use it as like mm. a a scale totally. <laughs> for things. But yeah, if the intention isn't pure, then it will show. Of course, you know what I mean. And and it did. But some of the fresh faces of that 2010 Little Affair were Mary J. Blige, Ooh. Miranda Lambert, Cat Power, Lights, Heart, Sugarland, Kate Nash, and Metric. So it was building steam. And this is like you know 2010 Coachella is now a powerhouse of festivals. People know how to throw festivals. Bonnaroo is a huge thing. Lollapalooza has been around. Lilith Fair already happened three times, but now it's obviously been quite a while. So that they had to wait, you know, or they had to play catch up as far as the infrastructure of throwing a huge festival goes. But you just hire a team to do it. It's just people weren't stoked. I feel like 2010 was a weird time for feminism. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know, but, you know, it's like I'm just judging off of what I was seeing on social media and stuff at the time. No, it really was. I feel like um, it was a a bit of a complacent time. Um, Like the late 90s, there was Riot Girl and all this stuff happening, and and it made sense. Yeah, even Girl Power with Spice Girls. Totally. The 90s, there was was a shift. The the mid, I mean, the mid-aughts like that, there wasn't really a need for it. I think we were seeing we were seeing the result of the work put in from per, right. from artists. And never in the 90s. ever stop fighting, folks. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you get to Then it happens again. You know, yes, it, it then it happens again. When we needed it more than anything. But, you know, we have things like, you know, inspirational figures like, for instance, like Pussy Riot comes to mind. Where it's like, that's Lilith Fair shit. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like this is all Lilith Fair shit. And if we could just, you know, if, if people in general could just look back and see that there's already been groundwork made, like, you know, this is nothing new new at all you know what i mean it's like people would come together a lot better and also yeah i feel like you're right like this complacency happened where you know huge festivals were happening that had huge female headliners so everyone you know especially booking in the industry and stuff was like oh it's fixed they didn't see a need right yeah, they were like oh, yeah. yeah it must be because you know beyonce's you know top selling totally. blah 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 and you know this that and the other which brings us to kind of the end game here what does it all mean and i feel like we we've been pretty good at at keeping up with this but, you know, in the in the wake of the, you know, Me Too movement and, you know, the Weinstein scandal and, and Cosby and R. R. Kelly now and all, all these major, major publicized things that are, are coming out and showing, you know, the world, there's no more excusing it, that these terrible things are, are happening to women. And, but then also you have this clear rise of female icons, most notably right now, I would mention Cardi B, you know, yeah. because she's broken so many records in rap music and music in general, totally. won all these awards and has this huge song, one of the top selling singles ever and it's literally raunchy as fuck like if there was a song called wet ass dick and it was just it was all the same lyrics but just replaced pussy with dick like it would it would just be disgusting i mean there are <laughs> right there's a lot of songs right like well they never rise to number one true yeah you know what i mean yes. and again i really feel like we have a little fair to thank for that it, it, it obviously you can't relate the two necessarily but there is something to say for the music industry bigwoods that pull the strings that that broke down enough barriers that 20 years later someone with a song so controversial can make it to the very absolute top of the music industry without fucking raising an eyebrow you know what I mean? Like Amazing. to music fans, I, I would say. Obviously, there's plenty of conservative folk out there that, of course. you know, uh, grab their heart when they hear the lyrics of that song. But I really do. I mean, would you would you say that, that there's any accuracy to that, or, or what do you think Lilith Fair means? Totally. What does it mean to you as a female in music right now? I mean, 
it means so much. I mean, I'm humbled by it, you know, being where I am at, at, at the age I'm at and not having known about it, you know, um, like we're standing on the shoulders of giants sort of thing here. Um, but what I was, what I was getting at earlier is like, you know, about the complacency thing in the right. mid-aughts. It's like now with the Me Too movement and intersectional feminism and all that, I'm like, let's bring this shit back. Right. Because no now, yeah, yeah, now there's this solidarity. There's this fire under all of our asses. No dudes and would be allowed at this new one. <laughs> this one's no separatist. Dudes allowed. Yeah, separatist. Yeah, totally, yeah. It's, it's the new order. Yes. Yeah, like, but I mean, who would play now? Oh my God. Well, I, mean, I was so going to ask you, like, who would you want to see? Kim at- Petras. Hell yeah. Yeah, like like for sure. I mean, I feel like they could do, I mean, obviously Melissa Etheridge would, would, would be a huge one, but there's there's so many. I mean, dude, Bikini Kill, like fucking Hell headlining yeah. their own stage. Totally. I mean, you know, there's so many good, oh. and like even young, like Shannon and the Clams come to mind. Yes. I mean, you know what I mean? There, there's so many like great female bands, you know, and you could even get bands back together of that era, like Vivian that- Girls and stuff like that. Like you could like, do so much with that you know what i mean and it'd be such a good opportunity to foster like up and coming people absolutely and people who are more niche right and i want to i want to blend stuff because that's like like and some what stuff like blend genres because like you know it's like like we were saying it's like most of those women that were seeing missy elliott for the first time that bought their little fair tickets to see indigo girls they probably had a killer time with whatever you know thermos full of whatever drink that they brought with them (laughs) you know what i mean but it's like that's how you introduce that stuff like you could probably you know having the dixie chicks for instance play uh at the 99 one it's like yeah i'm sure a lot of these women were like country is totally fucked they're totally in opposition to everything i believe in that whole Thing, but then they see the Dixie Chicks, and it's because it's a it's women. It's like, well, we're gonna support each other, totally. You know, and you could totally have that now. You guys would play. Your band would play. Glam Skanks would be. Oh my god, yeah, we would totally play. Yeah, we would totally. play. I mean, it just opens up. Uh, I, I could go on about like dream lineups for for Lilith. Bear. I want to see Sudan Archives. Oh my. <laughs> oh my god, she would kill it. Yeah, and but again, you know, it's like. I feel like even with Lilith Fair back in the day, there was probably still some like, oh, well, we're not going to have like that person play. You know, right. you, like they didn't have like L7 play. Or, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like who, you know, throw a tampon at the crowd. Like they're like, that's so punk rock. But throw they're like, it at just me. not like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Bobbing for it. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it's, it, I don't know. It, it's, it's an interesting thought. And again, I am very surprised that it didn't, come back you know what I mean in a time when it would be more popular than ever and again that leads me back to why Lilith Fair in my opinion is a culture dump because it's just so forgotten it's so unthanked it's such an unsung hero of music and equality really and activism and just given a what for to the patriarchy if you will and all that stuff and it just is not part of the conversation now as far as like where like how people got to where we are now, you know, especially with all like the the women's stuff. Not to write it off as women's stuff. No. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. So with that, I think we've come to a nice place here. I'd like to just remind everyone, if you would like exclusive content by Culture Dumps and Podcast 99, please sign up to patreon.com slash culture dumps. A lot of good stuff there. And also follow us on Instagram at culture dumps. And if you have a good suggestion or a question about a dump, hit us up on Gmail at culture dumps at gmail.com. 
Audra, do you have anything you want to plug? Where can we hear your music? What are oh, you, doing? you guys, look up Glam Skanks on IG, on Spotify, Apple Music, you know, all the platforms. All the stuff, Glam Skanks. You heard it here first on Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been joined by Audra Zadora, and we'll see you next time. You are a very brave man coming to Lilith here. Why am I brave? You're here amongst a women's... 1,000 so- women. <laughs> How does that not make sense to you? <laughs>